What up? It's your boy Tony Sumo coming to you with another episode. But before I get down with my guest, let me get my plugs out of the way. Go to dirtycleaneats.com. Check out the product there. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, and listen to their podcast, the DCE Pirate Radio Podcast on iTunes. Now, use the code DCE Tiny Sumo for 10% off in store now. And check out fightkingdom.com. You can search for the Tiny Sumo Tea in the products tab, or you can follow the link in my bio. You can find Fight Kingdom on Facebook and Instagram and use the code Tiny Sumo for 10% off in store with those guys as well. And while you're online, do your boy a favor, check him out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, subscribe, like, share, follow, all those sort of things. Leave a five-star review, tell your friends, tell your family, let them all know because your boy appreciates the support and the love, but I think that's enough of a plug. So let me get down with my guest. Yo! John, how's it going? Yo, you there? How's it going, man? I'm good. How you doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No problem, man. I always like talking to people. Now, look, I'll, I'll I, uh, try. I screwed I'll, up two of my interviews today. <laughs> that's all right. I'll try not to geek out too much. Uh, think less interview, think more friendly chat because I'm a fan and I just want to talk fights. So it makes it a lot easier. Oh, sure. No worries, man. Cool. All right. So this is very exciting for me. Like I said, I've been following your career for a long time. Um, in fact, I think that I sort of came across you as a fighter when I first came across wrestling as a sport as well. Mm. And so the two sort of, you know, like I felt wrestling and then I watched your fights and I went, I don't want to feel that. Like that looks horrible. <laughs> that looks, that looks scary. It looks emotional. I don't want to be under that. I don't know how I deal with it. So that was a very cool thing. And also when I sort of started taking my training more seriously, um, I, I'd come across, you know, a lot of your stuff and the pre-fight packages and I'd seen you working and things like that. And, and it sort of blew my mind, you know, like that grind mentality, getting in there, just outworking everyone. And that sort of spoke to mm-hmm. me, not that I ever had the wrestling prowess, but I sort of took that mentality and adapted it to whatever I was doing at the time. So, uh, yep, that's just, absolutely. I got, I got that out of the way. So there you go. I'll try not to geek out too much from here no on worries. out. I, I think that's a big reason why wrestling is such an important thing for young people to do just because, it teaches you resiliency. It teaches you how to work hard. And, uh, it doesn't matter what you go on to do later in life. You'll always have that with you and carry that with you. I, I don't know too many people who were successful wrestlers that, that, uh, um, you know, turned into deadbeats. No, <laughs> most, most all of them turn out, out to be happily decent. I wish that we had the wrestling programs in Australia that you guys have in the States. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think that, you know, the ability to compete all the time, the mentality involved in it, um, mm-hmm. you know, the need to push yourself on a regular basis is, is something it, it that we teaches don't get. You, uh, it teaches you how to endure. Yes. Which a lot of people, especially nowadays, do not have that ability to just endure and gut it out and get through it. I have a, I have a conspiracy theory. <laughs> Go on. About, yep. about why... Uh, Wrestling is not pushed in a lot of places, um, in a lot of Western society, like U.S. and Australia too. I mm-hmm. think I think they want us softer. I don't think they want us to have wrestling mentality. I don't think they want us to be strong and resilient. I think they want us weak. Mm. <laughs> That's why they don't they don't push it and they try to kill it off. And uh, you know, it just won't die. And now with the internet and social media. 
they can't hide wrestling anymore. It's blowing up. I think that wrestling's more popular now than it has ever been. I think too, obviously, the uh, popularity of MMA, you know, has has helped spur that along. And like yep. you said, I mean, well, it's, it's taken it's taken wrestling out of the shadows mm. because before you couldn't see it at all, but now. Mm. You know, we've got this exciting sport and the techniques are getting shoved down your throat. And you're like, oh, wow, these fights aren't happening exactly the way I thought they would. It's not what the movies are telling me. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's kind of grown from there. Exposure. We get more exposure now because of the fighting. Look, I can say personally, as a striker, you know, that's that that would be my mm. background. As a striker, I genuinely thought, and this is, you know, like it's, it's something that I've said many times on the podcast. I genuinely thought, I'm like, I've just got to hit someone and I'll sleep them. It's all good. It's going to be okay. And then I worked with my first wrestling coach, who was a former two-time Olympian, and he was an older guy and he was smaller than me. And I thought, ah, it's all good. You know, I'm an athletic guy. I'll be okay. And it was like I was trying to move a house. And I just went, oh, shit. I'm like, if I don't hit him, I die. I can't do anything. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It takes you off your feet. Like, you got no power. Nope. I don't know. I I don't know. It has not happened very often that somebody has gotten knocked out uh, from somebody on the bottom, unless it was like an up kick. Yeah. No, I think I've said there was like once I was racing, but it blew up. I remember because it was like someone hit hammer fists from the bottom, but it's not like the guy was in a dominant position. That was a funny one against Mm -hmm. the cage sort of thing. Well, there was there was a funny one where a guy was had mount and the guy hit him when he was mounted, and the guy that was being mounted knocked the other guy out. Yeah, but that's like. One in like a billion. Yeah, that's very, very rare. Very, very rare. But I think, you, you know, there's, there's something to be said about that sort of softening of the culture. And you mm-hmm. look at, you look at sort of like those manly societies, you know, like yep. the Eastern Europeans, you know, like Turkey, Russians, like, Kazakhstan, Georgia, yeah. any of those countries. I mean, if you were to Google a Georgian wrestler, that's, mm-hmm. that's the scariest looking human alive. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's something to be said. And I do believe, and look, I would love to have seen more of a push. Um, but I do think that, you know, now, like I said, with the popularity of MMA, it is something that, like you said, you know, you can't look away from the fact that it is the, and look, like I said, as a striker, it's the most important part of mixed martial arts. It's, uh, it's mm-hmm. undeniable. If you can dictate where the fight goes, you're in with a good mm-hmm. shot. Yep. If you can get the tape, you can dictate where the fight goes. And if, uh, if you can get up from bottom. Mm. That will. Those mm. are those are key, very key. That's because that's a lot of that's a lot of strikers make a mistake of spending all of their time trying to learn takedown defense. Mm. Takedown defense is very important, but it's not wrestling. It's it's a fight. Mm. So takedowns happen in weird ways. Like I'm not an exceptional wrestler. I wasn't even an all American in college, right? Uh but in MMA, because of the way things work with the timing, the pressure, the leverage, all that stuff, I can dominate because I know how to, I've figured out a way to, to get in and get easy takedowns. Mm. And easy takedowns happen. You trip, you get hit sometimes, you fall. There's all kinds of things that can put you on bottom. Mm. So it's a much more important thing to develop the ability to escape bottom than it is to stop takedowns. Mm. No, I agree. That's like you said, I mean, takedown defense is one thing, but then if you aren't successful with defending the takedown, I think then the importance as well as, like you said, mm-hmm. it's, I've got to be able to get back up. How do I get back up? How do mm-hmm. I create that space? Where do I need to yep. go? I can't always rely on, you know, 
wall walking. I, I may not be able to get up off the cage, whatever it may be. And if yeah, if you got if you know the if you know the, what me and uh, Khabib know, wall walking's dead. You're dead <laughs> in the water. You're dead in the water. You're doing us a favor by going to the wall. That's one thing that I have noticed as well, just that pressure against the cage and being pinned almost in that sort of corner space, the yep. hand trap. You know, you, you, like you said, it's, that's the scariest thought about being there and thinking, I'm good, I'll, I'll wall walk up, I'll be okay, and then all of a sudden, oh, one of my other limbs is pinned now. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. yep, I'll just I'll stay or, here. Or, and get I mean, a lot, of, a lot of what we're doing is like, uh, I don't care if you get back up because I'm going to put you right back down. Mm. You're just wearing yourself out if you're wall walking. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to put pressure on you and be heavy on you. You think you're doing good and, oh, I'm going to get away. No, I'm letting you. I want you to fight up to your feet so I can put you back down and make you do it again. Oh, that sounds horrible. That's just the the thought of it. (laughs) And, and the concept for me, like my main objective is to use one hand. I want to have one free limb always to strike with. So while I'm controlling and dominating in that sense, I'm always doing damage. I'm always hitting. Mm. No, that's that's just it is like, and and it's me being genuine when I say that is like the scariest sort of going. Oh, okay, I've got to uh, get. I'm getting back up. I've used all that energy. I'm still defending strikes, like you said. You've got that one arm free. You're still punching me in the face. I've still got to worry about that. And then I've got back to my feet. I go, okay, sweet, unhooks. What am I doing now? And I'm back down again. Oh, cool. Go again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and that's, that's why. And that's why you see a lot of guys shut down and they start playing the ref game where they hold on to wrists and elbows. They keep closed guard. They do everything they can to stop the action. They want the Mm. action to stop because if they can stop the action, the ref will stand them up and reward them. Yeah. Yeah. They're hoping, they're hoping for that lockdown and just wait it out. Yep. Yep. They want to get some kind of stalemate. To me, I think this is, I think that's, I don't know. That's, that's gross to me because fighting, you know, you're supposed to fight up, fight to your feet, hit a submission, yep. hit a sweep, do something. If you're looking at the ref like, Hey man, this is boring. Stand this up. You're not fighting. You're, you're being a punk. <laughs> Look, and that's anyone that says anyone that uses that boring label, right? Anyone that uses mm-hmm. that boring label hasn't been underneath someone that's doing that to them. Because if mm-hmm. you've been underneath that, you go, Oh yeah. That's obviously, I mean, that's why too, like you're saying, people are just hoping for that ref stand up. I'm just hoping for that, you know, lull in activity yep. as far as the ref is concerned. Cause they don't, it's, it's a lot of work to get up on your own. You get tired mm. and you expo- when you're fighting up, uh, you expose yourself, right? Yep. Because if you're fighting up to your feet, if you're fighting for a sweep, if you're fighting for a submission, well, you're committing yourself to something. Mm. Anytime you commit yourself to anything, you make yourself vulnerable. Mm. Whether it's a fight or love. <laughs> <laughs> Say it's, you com- it's all encompassing. You commi- you, all encompassing. If you commit yourself to something fully, it's the only way to get to your objective. But at the mm. same time, it's one of the dualities of life. At the same time, you're at your most value, your most vulnerable. That's look, that is the deepest comment I think I've had on a podcast about fighting before. <laughs> the duality of wrestling and love. That's, uh, that's, I think that's going to be, that's going to have to be the title of the podcast now. <laughs> that's a good one. I like it, man. That sounds like that's a, that's a romance novel in the waiting. All right. Look, yeah. talking about wrestling as well, because it's, it's such a thing now, you know, with guys making the transition to MMA, you in college wrestling got introduced to MMA, you know, through, I think anyone that has followed MMA for a long time, a well-known name. Yeah. 
Now, did you did you luck you lucked out first, with that? My technically my first jujitsu coach was Mark, Mark Coleman. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane to think that. Yeah. yeah oh yeah, uh, former UFC heavyweight champ. Yep, cool. Uh, we're going to learn some some grappling from there. Yeah, nice. Happy days. <laughs> so I learned. Uh, I, I worked with him a little bit, and I worked with Gary Goodrich a little bit on stand up. So those are technically my first two trainers. That's crazy. And, uh, and Tom Erickson set up my first fight. Now that's the other one. Look for people that probably if you followed the UFC and not followed pride. They may not know Tom Erickson, but Tom Erickson mm-hmm. as well, like pivotal, pivotal figure in that Japan scene. Yeah. So that's three good names to have for your introduction yeah. to MMA. Yeah. Tom, Tom was number two. Uh, it was the alternate for the U S men's freestyle wrestling team at heavyweight under Bruce Bumgardner for like 13 years. Yep. Um, Tom fought some in Brazil and then he went over to pride, had a number of fights there. He even fought, he fought Shannon, the cannon, Briggs, let's go champ. He fought him in K1 in a kickboxing fight. Yes, yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he, he did. Almost, and he almost won. But he got overconfident because he got hit once and was like, oh, I can take that. And he stepped yep. in to trade hands. Like if he would have just kept throwing the leg kick, because Tom's a big dude. They call him Big Cat. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's he's 300-pound man, like walking around 300, <laughs> 305. Christ. Like no problem. That's why he never fought. That's why he never went to the UFC. So he wasn't going to cut the weight. Yep. He didn't want to cut the weight to 265. He used to joke and be like, oh, well, if they made me an offer, but like, I don't, I don't think he would have done that. <laughs> that's, that's a big man. That's a big man. It's, and he was fast. He yeah. was big and fast, dude. Yeah. Shannon, uh, Shannon actually spoke about that fight on, um, Rogan's Rogan. podcast, talking yeah, about the leg yeah. kicks on that. Like, I can't take yeah. another one of them. Uh, yeah. Should... That's, that's madness. Yep. That's crazy. Well, that's an, that's a fantastic introduction to MMA then as well. So like, uh-huh. From there, you know, Tom Erickson setting up your first fight. How long between, I guess, then and then making your way to AKA? What's the time span between that? Uh, it was a year because I had, I had graduated um, from Purdue University and Tom set up a fight. So I fought my first time in, uh, in July. So I, I started training MMA full time as soon as this wrestling season was over mm-hmm. um, for us at Purdue. And then uh, I had won a scholarship, the Red Mackey Award. And that award paid for a year of grad school. So I got $3,000 a semester and my, my, um, tuition paid for mm-hmm. tuition and books. So everything full ride for that year. So I took a minimum classes, which was two each semester. So I had six credits. Um, and then, uh, I had time to like just see what this fighting thing was and what I thought about it. And in that time period, that summer, I fought in Minnesota for Brad Kohler and, uh, Sean Shirk was in the audience. That's cool. And yeah, and I, I met and talked to him and then he was signed with, uh, Dwayne Zink and Zink and Entertainment at the time. And we talked together and, uh, Dwayne had actually called Tom Erickson because he was just, he was a genius. He went around, he, he was an ex, uh, Dwayne was an ex, uh, uh, College wrestler, he's a national, uh, um, all American, all American. And then, um, he went around and called, started calling all the wrestling coaches to ask if they had any wrestlers that were interested in fighting. So he was like blind calling to recruit wrestlers. So he talked to Tom. Tom's like, yeah, I got a guy who's, who's fighting once this, this summer or whatever. So I started talking with Dwayne back and forth. And then, um, uh, Sean saw me, or, uh, yeah, Sean Strick saw me fight in Minnesota, told Dwayne he thought I was an animal, had a lot of potential. 
So Dwayne signed me, and Dwayne was hooked up with Crazy Bob Cook, uh, Javier Mendez, and AKA, and um, Frank Shamrock at the time also. And uh, we started talking about me coming out there and training a little bit. I went out that Thanksgiving during, you know, grad school. We had a break for Thanksgiving. Went out there to visit and stayed at Bob's place, slept on the floor, me and uh, Brian Ebersol. Yes, Brian Ebersol. Yeah, he's li- He's out here now. He's one of our native yep. sons now. We've stolen yep. him. Yep. I met him at my first fight, and we became friends. And we were only like two hours away from each other, so we could drive uh, and train sometimes. Um, but anyways, I went out for a week. I fell in love with it because I was like, oh, my God, look at how much training there is here. Look how many coaches there are here. Like, there's 10 different stand-up coaches. There's, you know, all these gyms all over the place. It was crazy to me because there was nothing in Indiana at all at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, like we, my buddy worked at the bar, and he would just ask any random tough guy if they watched, <laughs> if they watched UFC and they ever trained or whatever or interested in training. And we'd try to get them to come down and work out, and they might come for a round or two of the workout and then take off and you never see them. <laughs> but, uh. Yeah. So like, you know, I, I took some early losses and I was just like, I was like, man, I can't go out like this. I can't let this be my legacy of fighting. I did it a couple of times, had so, so, uh, results. So like I, I started, uh, thinking about moving full time to California. Part of that was inspired by a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And I started reading that book, uh, first semester, uh, in grad school from one of my classes. And, uh, just the book was talking all about the, the journey and, and, uh, quality. And it just spoke to me. And I was like, man, I just got to do this. I don't have any debt. I've got a little bit of money. Uh, I've got some passion. I know how to work hard. Let's just go out there, do nothing but train and fight. And, you know, if I run out of money, I got to move home. Or if, you know, after three years fighting doesn't look like it's going anywhere because it was, you know, nobody knew what it was back then. Mm. And, um, you know, I just moved out, started working, and everything's kind of lined up pretty well. It's worked out from there. Look, I mean, in terms of worked out pretty well, you fought in the biggest promotions there are. Uh, and, and fought for the titles. Fought for the titles. That, look, that's <laughs> the thing as well. I mean, to go, you know, from World Series of Fighting, when it changed up, because you actually, you relinquished the title then to go to Bellator, yeah? Uh, well, no, they changed their... When they went to uh, PFL. Yeah, they changed their name and I got stripped of my title because there was no more World Series of Fighting and yep, okay. they were doing a tournament. There was a doing a tournament based thing. Yeah, so yeah. My one PFL fight was a five round main event non title. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> then after that fight, they they breached my contract and uh, it wasn't worth it for me to sit around and wait. Yeah. So I just uh, I just left and luckily. Uh, Bellator was interested. Made the move to Bellator, you know, success there straight off the bat, and then into the title fight with Rory recently, which was a draw, which the other thing I found funny about that, I found it funny that they were looking. Yes. Yeah, that's, (laughs) yes. That's the funniest thing about it is that I won five rounds. Yes. Possibly, I could see possibly number four being a draw. And so talking about that fight too, look, I found it weird that he was in the tournament in the first place. Um I, I thought that was a bit weird to have, like the champ fight in the tournament. Where you know, I well, I thought I thought it was a great idea because usually it's uh, you know the the belts get tied up or 
whatever. And people got to wait. Ram. Yeah, so I thought it was better just to, hey, we're going to do this tournament, put the belt up every round, let's do it. The other thing that I did obviously find weird about it is that when it was given that weird draw, <laughs> when it was given the uh, the shady draw call, that he sort of just moves on in the tournament, that there's no redo, there's no start over. You know, most tournaments, obviously, there's mm-hmm. going to be, there might be that extra time round, things like that. Can't do that after a five-rounder. It's already a massive fight. Probably not going to go mm-hmm. a sixth round. I mean, in saying that, someone like yourself probably could, but they're not going to do a sixth round. What have they sort uh, yeah, of said? Uh, yeah, for, for me too, I, I had the feeling that like, you know, if two judges say it was a draw and one judge says this guy won, well then, you know, you go with, <laughs> I got more points. Basically. Well, from a, for a tournament why, why format, yeah. Why wouldn't I have won? In any form, why wouldn't I have won? Two judges can't decide who won the fight, but one guy says, yeah, this guy won. Mm. You go, you go with the majority, the or not the majority, but you go with the guy who actually made a decision. Yes, yeah. Well, that's. I mean, that's like a countback system. That's something that you should be able to bring into play. And I think, especially for a tournament format, where you know you then get this sort of murky, you know, he he moves on, but everyone's a bitch. You know, everyone's shitty about it. We go, well, we didn't really get the result we wanted there. What's happening? What's John now doing? So, what have Bellator come back to you with? Um, well, right now they are still uncertain about Rory's, uh, his, his, uh, his desire to compete, mm. uh, in the rest of the tournament. So I'm being told to be ready to fly out to New York and weigh in. Okay. Just in case last second, he's like, no, uh, I don't want to do this. Cause that was, there was some weird, there was some weird comments after the fight that he was making. He's desire to, to, you know, hurt other people, that, that sort of thing. Like he's a, he's a book, uh, cause he's found religion recently, hasn't he? Absolutely. That's, you there? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you cut out for a second. Sorry. All good. No, no, I was just like, he made some weird comments after the fight yeah. about his desire mm. to hurt people sort of thing. Uh, you know, I think it's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Everybody, you know, anybody can say whatever after that bad performance. <laughs> I don't know if it was a bad performance. I think I just made him look bad. I think he thought it was going to be an easy fight. Mm. He came out, stormed across the cage, thought he was going to come in, knock me out, and that was the end of the fight. I think that's what he thought. Yep. But he got handled for 25 minutes, and now he's, you know, oh, well, I don't know. Maybe God doesn't want me to hurt people. <laughs> no, you, you got your ass kicked. <laughs> it's it's look i can say as someone who's been manhandled by wrestlers it's really easy to not have a desire to hurt people when you get beaten <laughs> up on your back it's like yeah. ah shit i'm I don't, I don't know if i've got the desire anymore it's like yeah because i've just <laughs> i've been getting smashed in the face for 25 yeah. minutes so yeah that's something desire. that's a thing that'll take the desire away pretty quickly so you're staying ready then you're ready to rock for the gracie fight essentially yeah as soon as we get off the uh phone here i'm gonna go get my cardio in Back into training because that's a quick turnaround too. What is it? It was six weeks between fights. Six, six or seven weeks, I think. Yeah, quick turnaround. So I only had, you know, I had about two and a half weeks. Um, well, two weeks. I had two weeks where I just stuffed my face and got fat, <laughs> <laughs> and then I got right back to lifting after two weeks. And then I found out like on a Wednesday that I needed to stay ready, so got cool. back on the cardio. Uh, just been staying healthy, and mm-hmm. um, yeah. Nice. Go. Nice. Either now, way. look, hypothetically, Gracie fight doesn't materialize. Rory all of a sudden finds that he's got the desire to fight again because he's not facing a wrestler now. What are the, you know, what are the plans and what are we thinking? Because I know that you'd mentioned as well 
you know, like leading into this fight that, you know, maybe tail end, what are you thinking? Or what are we thinking now? 2019, what's the go? Uh, well, I, I kind of made a agreement with myself uh, before the Jake Shields fight I had uh, a few years ago um, mm-hmm. that if I lost, I was going to be done. Okay. And I won. And I kind of just kept telling myself that. <laughs> yeah. And I kept winning. And uh, we're still in the same position going into this fight, but I I didn't lose. So it's, uh, I don't know. I have to make a decision. I it, uh, I might need to take some time. I, I got to see if I can make money some other way. I got to mm. see if I can find something that I enjoy and I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot of lines in the water, stuff I'm working on. But uh, I don't know, man. I just, the last, the last, I don't know, the last few years, whatever, have been pretty rough. Um, personally, I, mm. with, with, uh, family life and, um, just the brutality of the sport. I'm not talking about how you get beat up and get CTE. Mm. Just, I don't know another sport where the fans hate yeah. <laughs> the athletes as much as they do in fighting. Um, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's just a, a sport where there's really no love. It's such unless, a, you know, he's got to come from within and like, I don't know if it's worth the effort that I'm putting into it for the reward I'm getting. Mm. So I'm, I'm kind of reevaluating my ROI, my, my return on investment. It, and uh, yeah. I put a lot into this. I've invested a lot of my time, my relationships, you know, moving away from family and friends. And, you know, I'm kind of isolated out here in San Jose a little bit. Mm. It's just, it's, it's, it's a pain. So I always have to kind of re-examine all that stuff, you know, not having a steady, a steady paycheck, mm. which, which, you know, I've never really had a steady paycheck. So I'm kind of used to mm. <laughs> this stuff, but like, I, I don't know. There's just a lot to question. I think maybe I'll, uh, change my mind in a couple of weeks or a few weeks or six months and decide, uh, oh, I, uh, I just have to take some time. Mm. Look, you've made a very fair point too about the fans. It is such a weird thing to see the way that people react. When when you think about it, like I as a fan and fans in general get to watch the athletes show me a part of their soul in the cage or the ring. You know, I get to see someone give themselves to the sport physically, mentally and emotionally because that's mm-hmm. what athletes are doing every time they step in there. So anyone that sort of reacts weirdly and you know, negatively in that light, it's like, hey, I literally got to see someone give a part of themselves for me to watch them. How can I react negatively to that either way? Yeah. And, uh, I kind of feel the same way. I've never really like dislike for somebody like that. Mm. And, and, you know, unless it was like a movie or actor or something like that, then, then my, I just don't watch. Yeah. Like, uh, so yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a weird, it's weird. It's very weird. There's something tied to it through uh, through fighting. There's something in our hind brain, our, our lizard brain, <laughs> that makes us that way. Yeah, you know, because it's uh, some kind of tribalist like thing. Like you associate with a certain person because you identify them as the alpha or something, and like that's your leader. And if they lose, or I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the psychology behind that is. I'd love to talk to. Some kind of psychologist. As in, well, yeah, so people have picked a side. You've picked a side, so therefore one's the yeah. enemy, one's, one's my team, one's the enemy, so therefore I have to hate the other person. It is, it is a weird thing. So Something can, like yeah. that, yeah. 
you can have preferences. Obviously, people are going to have stylistic preferences. People are going to have fighter preferences. But I do find mm-hmm. it weird that people – I can dislike someone's personality or the way they come off on the mic, the way that they are on social media, yeah. whatever it may be. But fight to fight, I can't hate you for fighting. Yeah. No, I, and I, that's the thing is I just look at it as different styles. And that's what makes it exciting and fun for me is the different styles and the different strategies. Like, mm. How are you applying the techniques? You know, because everybody knows the same techniques. Mm. Everybody knows the same six punches. Everybody knows how to kick. Everybody knows how to knee and the same jujitsu moves. Everybody's got one head and two arms and two legs mm. for the most part. <clears throat> yep. Um, but uh, how you apply those techniques that everybody knows, that's what's exciting to me. What's your system? What's the best system? Exactly right. Look, there's no DMUC techniques anymore. In saying that, though, I did just see a gym advertised near my house recently that's teaching DMUC secrets, so I'm going to have to go check that uh, out. I wouldn't mind going and finding out about some death touch uh, because know. my grappling's not working. So I figure if I'm on the bottom, I'm getting pounded by a John Fitch-style wrestler, maybe I can work out like the five-finger death touch or something like that, get something. me up, make it a lot easier. I don't have to wall walk then. I don't have to get taken back down and get just, my face smashed. Just let him take you down. Just give him the takedown and do the DMUC and then from God. Yeah, from God. I'll, <laughs> yeah, get, I'll get D-Muck exactly. from God. That's a new well, one. Like give up, yeah, just give up mount. You can give up mount so you're a lot closer. That's the idea. Then I'm closer <laughs> to the chest. I can hit the five points a lot yes. easier. The gallbladder yeah. eight, all those type of things. I'll be able to get it from being underneath mount because chances are that's where I'm going to end up. So I may as well learn those <laughs> techniques now. You know, I think that's probably safest. Yep. I think that's probably the Absolutely. best. Look, before we wrap it up, like I said, I've, this has been fantastic for me. I'm a massive fan. I've been following you for a long time. Your style, both in the cage and in training, your mentality did change mine, so I do truly appreciate you taking the time to have a chat. Um, no before I wrap it up, though, I'd like to give people a chance to get any plugs, mention shout-outs, anything like that they want to do. And when I post up, we'll tag them all in. So anyone you want to mention, let them know now, and I'll get the tags off you later. Well, well, people can uh, check out johnfitch.net. I got some blogs and stuff up there. And then if they like uh, hearing me talk, I do a, a daily, you know, weekday uh, live stream uh, called The Shake Break. It's on my uh, YouTube channel, Official John Fitch. Um, I also have a podcast with my friend Chris Tinkle. He's a stand-up comedian. It's called Fitch and Tinkle Smash Everything. Uh, that's available everywhere. There's podcasts. Um, and then I have I have a Patreon. Um where I, I show uh, technique videos and some people contribute to help out the, the blogs and the, and, the, uh, and the videos and the live streams and stuff. So there's a number of ways people can, can uh, find more content and, and contact me and talk to me if they uh, just look a little. Cool. That will tag them all in and we'll make sure the people are watching, try and get the secrets of not getting smashed against the cage as much as possible. I know that I'll be watching and, uh, and, and hopefully I'm able to use some of them and not get smashed. Yeah, I have, uh, Fitch Smash is actually my, my system. It's my martial art. It's my LLC company. And, uh, I have three, three sections to my system. And one of them is I call AMOS and that's achieving and maintaining an operational status. That means, uh, know how to get up and stay up (laughs) love it and i love an acronym it makes it a lot easier for me to remember yep based off obviously like we said earlier the cta acronyms make my life a lot easier so i appreciate that too (laughs) yes cool man all right dude thank you very much for taking the time and uh, i will talk to you soon all right man cheers john bye